find an informative podcast all about training working dogs? Look no further than the LWDG Pod Dog. This weekly show is hosted by me, Joe Parrott, founder of the Ladies Working Dog Group. And I chat to experienced trainers and experts in the field who will give you helpful tips and advice. Whether you're just getting started or you've been working with dogs for years, this podcast will have something for you. So pull up a chair, pour yourself a cup of coffee and tune in to LWDG Pod Dog. Let us help you build a better bond with your best friend. Welcome to another episode of LWDG Pod Dog. Joining me today, I know it's Friday the 1st of April 2022 and you may think this is a joke, but we're joined with Jessica Haynes, who is a biology wildlife professor from Alberta and Canada and also one of our Society Squad members. Jessica is going to be talking to us today about how you can train a cat to be a gun dog. Now, Jessica, I know everybody has heard me say that um, title of this pod dog and they're like, she's just having a laugh. But tell us a little bit more about yourself and why we're chatting about this today. <laughs> yeah, so um, my cat, Minnie, would get really annoyed with me when I trained the dogs Um, and at first I tried to just bribe her to stay out of the way that didn't work. She would still get in the way. And, uh, so I decided to figure out how to train cats. And so now every evening I do my training session with her, uh, and I did then go do my training session with the dogs. And then I have a fourth cat or a fourth animal, another cat that occasionally I do training sessions with him, but he's old and has arthritis. So he mostly just likes to lay around, um, and get food. So, um, yeah, I started out doing really basic stuff, kind of the same kind of things you teach dogs to do, like sit on a platform, um, and doing sits and stays. And then it progressed into doing tricks. And right now we're working, um, on nose work. Um, yeah, so that's where we're at now. So tell us a little bit, first of all, about your working dogs because that that part is very serious to you isn't it like we've known you um for quite a while within the group we're so used to seeing fantastic pictures of your dogs out training tell us a little bit more about what you do with your dogs yeah so my the first job of my dogs is that they're my hunting dogs um in the fall uh i hunt upland which for me means i hunt uh grouse uh we have several grouse species in Alberta, but my main ones that I hunt are ruffed grouse. I'd like to hunt spruce grouse. They're harder to find in the forest. Uh, I also hunt pheasants and then I hunt uh, rabbits, um, which here are their snowshoe hares. Um, And then I also do waterfowl hunts over water, um, little uh, ponds. Um, So that would be for various duck species and geese. And then usually a couple of times in the fall, I also do um, goose shoots where we set up on a field and do field shoots. And then I also deer hunt. But here we're not allowed to bring the dogs out for that. So uh, the rest of the year, I'm teaching them to shed hunt so that I have an excuse to bring them out while I'm searching for spots that have deer. Uh, But during the hunting season, they can't come out when I deer hunt. So I started out getting one dog and loved loved her but realized that I didn't know what I was doing um because I thought that high energy dogs meant lots of exercise but actually it means they need to do a lot of things um which our hunting season is actually pretty long it starts in September and it goes till January um but there's still a lot of the year where they're not my hunting dogs 
So I just threw myself into learning how to train. Um, and I found the ladies working dog group. I love the resources that are available on the website and the courses. Um, but I also just found it was a really welcoming group and really encouraging. Um, and so that's how I ended up with the group. Um, the rest of the year, my dogs, uh, are pets. Like they sleep on my bed at night. Um, but we do a ton of sports. So I do dock diving. I do barn hunt. Um, we're learning formal obedience. We do virtual titles like um, trick titles. Um, and I'm missing a few. Oh, we do lure coursing. Um, and I'm missing a few sports in there, I think. So we keep pretty busy. Yeah, like I love watching you on Instagram and on Facebook. And you're always with us in our sort of dog and duck evenings in our live group coaching. But you your dogs do so many different sports how do you find it with regards to the fact that you know people say well can a dog be a dual purpose dog can they do two things your dogs don't do two things they do 10 things <laughs> yeah and then i guess the other sport i forgot to mention is hunt tests which is our um testing uh our canadian kennel club uh testing or um event for retrievers um so yeah, dogs can do lots of stuff. Uh, I guess it's really what you want. If I wanted to keep it simple, all I would do is hunting and I teach them just the things that they need to know for hunting. Uh, but I get bored easy. And I also figured out that I'm really bad at motivating myself if I don't have goals. So that's why we do so many titles with the dogs because and competitions because it gives me structure. Um, so, you know, this year I have certain titles that we're working towards and that helps me structure my training sessions throughout the year. Um, but it is, but it's a lot of fun, but it's a lot of work and the dogs love it. And so sometimes we're training very similar skills for very different sports that have very different requirements. And um, dogs are really good at learning context. So, you know, we do dock diving, which is where they go and they jump off a dock to um, go after retrieve. And they absolutely know the difference between that and say hunting where we're on a puddle um, sitting in the brush in the mud, <laughs> hoping to shoot a bird that comes over a duck that comes over. Um, but even for hunt tests, our hunt tests are sports. They're not hunting. We don't have actual hunting as a part of the tests. Um, we throw um, dead birds, uh, so they're they're dead ducks, um, but not nothing live. Um, and the requirements are very different than what I care about for my hunting. Um, so my dogs, when I'm hunting, I don't care if they go straight to the bird. If they take the most you know energy efficient way to get to that bird, that's fine because we hunt all day. If they're saving their energy by taking the long way around a pond and that's less energy than swimming, totally fine. But hunt tests, they have to swim straight out and straight back. Um, so we spend a lot of, I spend a lot of time kind of breaking skills down and uh, making sure it's clear to them when I want certain behaviors, making it clear either with the equipment that I use, like, you know, I'll bring out hunting gear for hunting training and I'll bring out different gear for other training um, or by using different cues. So our formal obedience heel work, for example, we are using one cue but I have a different cue for field heel work because it's not as strict. Um, and I don't care if they're slightly out of position because they have to walk around a brush or something. So uh, yeah, the dogs, I love it. The dogs love it, but it's, it's been a, a learning curve and a lot of fun. And that shows you just literally 
I think sometimes maybe we think, oh, the dog only needs this many cues. But like you said, they can work out what the difference are, when they need it. They can learn the meaning of quite a lot of our commands, can't they? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, but I try, I find for me, I have to really think through what I want. And um, that was some of the challenge of starting to add in multiple sports. Like, how am I going to make it clear to them what I'm looking for? And then really distinguishing when I, they're actually giving me that behavior. But if you have that clarity for them, they can absolutely learn a ton. It's amazing the amount of skills that they've learned for, you know, our trick titles, for example, because there's so many different skills that aren't even in uh, the sports that uh, we do that we learned for tricks. And they just, they love it. They just keep uh, doing it. And we, they learn, learn new words. They learn new behaviors. Um, so, yeah been really fun and the dogs um that you have you live in alberta and canada like i just mentioned i can always remember us being on a on a very much a, a call with uk ladies talking about temperatures should we go out in like three degrees and should we be out in <laughs> 26 degrees should we clack cancel all our classes because it was getting warm what temperature range do your dogs work at <laughs> Uh, we will still take them out when it's minus 30 Celsius or for very short times, we'll even take them out in colder than that. Uh, and then they'll go out till about 25 degrees Celsius. And above that, I might, we don't have very many days in Alberta where it's above 25 degrees. Um, but if we did have a summer day like that, I would take them out for water work. So at least they're staying cool, but yeah, it's amazing how much they adapt to it and they, they love it um they love snow <laughs> they love ice they'll be like completely caked in ice all around their face where they've drooled from like retrieving or um eating snow or breathing and like there's ice off their whiskers and they're just super happy like they don't it doesn't bother them we watch their behavior the biggest thing i look for is their behavior you know if it's too hot are they behaving like they're really hot and getting overheated or if it's cold are they acting like they're fine or are they starting to lift their feet up are they showing any other signs of cold and if it's really cold we just make sure that we're either working close to the car so we can take them and and leave if we need to or we do only a short walk um so yeah we just keep an eye on them but they're they're really tough they can handle a lot of conditions <laughs> so why have you been training these dogs for these lots of different activities and doing lots of things with the dog let's go back to the cat because i believe the cat should have as much attention in this because when you first started showing pictures of the cat i've got to be honest i was like where is jessica going with this cat and <laughs> over the months we watched it and she really does. You know, the cat's name is Minnie. She really does want to be involved, doesn't she? Oh, she gets so mad if I ignore her. Um, I was training. I was doing the order of doing the dogs first and then the cat for a while. And sometimes I would get tired and either not train the cat right away or I'd need a break after doing the dog stuff. And she would, she'll go to down to the basement, where is, which is where, one of the places we train, and she'll just start yelling for us to come down and train or if I walk just generally in the direction of that part of the house she starts she'll jump up and she'll run down the stairs and start yelling at me like let's go downstairs and train um she yeah she gets mad if I ignore her we we had a couple of days where we did some hiking and some training with the dogs outside for two or three days in a row this uh, last week because we had 
at unusually warm weather for this time of year, which means it was like 10 degrees Celsius. <laughs> um, and we were afraid Minnie was going to break things. She was so mad that we'd ignored her for two days. So we had to just go and do some work with her. <laughs> so when you started out, obviously you're probably thinking maybe like from your background, okay, let's see what this, the cat can learn because cats are intelligent creatures within their own right, without a doubt. What made you think, well, actually, I'll train her some of the skills that the dogs do and also teach us trick skills? Uh, again, it was my need to have some structure to what we were doing because I'm just really bad at structuring my training if I don't have a goal. So I started out, the first thing we did was teach her to sit on a platform because she was very happy to just sit in one place. And I couldn't get her to do anything else. I was like, well, I guess if all she wants to do is sit on a platform, great. At least she's not in my way. Uh, so I bought, I have like four platforms now so that each of the dogs and the cats each have a platform when we're training. Um, but then I figured out that I could get her to go from one platform to another. So she was happy to do that. And I was like, oh, well, this, this is cool. At least I can get her to move. And then I was like, well, I just trained these tricks with the dogs. I wonder if I could use the platforms to kind of structure our training to get the cat to do some of these things. Um, and so I just started experimenting and making sure there was a lot of structure to what I was asking. So like I would recall her to a platform and I and she got really good at it. Like at one point I recalled her from the first floor of our house down to the basement. And she came all the way down from the first floor down to the basement to come sit in front of me to, to start training. And she got really good at it. Um, and so, yeah, once I started to see how I could get her to do certain things, then I just started adding more and more complexity, um, partly because I get bored and she would get bored and we just keep experimenting. Uh, the biggest thing with her is to break things down. I think some of the difficult difficulties I had early on is I would expect her to do things at the same speed as my working line dogs, um, which is not reasonable. <laughs> she's a cat and she's not a working line dog. She's not been like bred for work. She just likes to work. Uh, so I really, it's actually been really good. It's made my dog training better because it's made me really think hard about the behaviors and how I can break them down into little pieces and then start to build them back up into more complex things. And that's quite a, a fascinating point, isn't it? Because I know when we speak to um, Claire Denia and she talks about retrieving, retrieving isn't one, um, one sort of behaviour in itself. It's lots and lots of lots of little behaviours that come together to make the retrieve. Um, and sometimes we don't think like that with our dogs um, and or, or with our cats. But it is understanding if we break it down into lots and lots of pieces, it becomes easier for the dog to then put it back together. Yep. Yeah. And I I realized through training Minnie that I, I actually had been kind of skipping steps with the dogs as well. Um, and they, you know, they would kind of bumble along and figure it out most of the time. But a lot of my behaviors I was training were a bit messy or I skipped steps. And so we had to go back and redo things. And then when I started to train Minnie and started to really see how to think about behaviors and break them down and to be patient, <laughs> um, then my training with the dogs really improved. And 
that really benefited my younger dog. She is incredibly smart and she catches on incredibly fast if I set things up well. If I don't set up a training session well, my younger dog just, she, she, she's better now, but when she was young, she'd almost like look at me like, excuse me, you're not being clear. Um, and she was really prone to frustration. So it's really interesting because learning how to train mini really improved my gun dog work. Um, and you know, last year we went, we tried to do hunt tests with my dogs, with my younger dog. Um, and it's the first dog I've trained from scratch because my older dog, I, she was a breeding dog. So she came with a little bit of uh, training from her breeder. Um, so Starling, my, my younger dog is my, the first one I trained from scratch. And I kind of tried to skip steps and go to a competition last year with her. And she just, everything broke down. And, uh, it's been really interesting learning from Minnie how to break things down. And now my dog training is just so far ahead compared to where I was last year. And a lot of it's from learning how to train a cat, um, and patience. Like she's really slow. (laughs) If a lot of the videos I post, I actually speed them up on Instagram because they're not quite, they're so slow that they're maybe a little bit too slow for Instagram patients. Um, because she's very thoughtful uh, and she thinks hard about a lot of things. Um, So when Minnie, when I give her tasks to do, um, she's very slow and I just have to wait and let her think. And you think that she's just sitting there grooming or rubbing her face on something or staring off into the distance. And then suddenly she'll just just move and do the thing that I was asking her to do. (laughs) So she just needs to think about it. And that again, really gives me patience to be like, okay, let them process, let them think about what I want, give them a chance to give it a try. Don't just jump in and tell them they're wrong um, or they're not doing it. So yeah, it's been fun. And and that's quite fascinating in itself as well, because I think, like you said, Whilst um, I watched the videos and we put some of the videos up in the um, in the group or on Instagram things today, the, we are too quick to to jump in and expect the dog. You know, we give a command or we give a cue, and then thirty seconds later we're trying to um, overhandle rather than like with Minnie, you are literally giving her a command and then just patiently waiting for her to move on it. So like you said, it's teaching you then to to, to take that patience over into your dog training. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and to really pay attention to what their behavior is telling me. Um, Because Minnie will just check out. If I make things too hard, she's not like the dogs where the dogs will push through a fair amount of frustration or confusion which I try to minimize in my training, but you know, we're always learning. I'm sometimes turns out you didn't set up a training session. Well, um, but Minnie will just quit. I mean, she'll, she actually is pretty persistent. She'll try, she'll try really hard, but at some point she's like, I don't know what you want. And she just is done. So it, yeah, it's really helped me pay attention to behaviors, really be sensitive to when I've kind of pushed a bit too much and when I might need to simplify things. And I also now really try and help improve their attitude. If they had a, like a, if we did a rep where it was confusing and they, whether it's the dogs or cats, they didn't quite get it as well as I wanted. (laughs) Sorry, my dog barked. (laughs) Um, But if it, if it just didn't go quite the way I wanted, then I also try and do the next rep where I either switch to a different behavior they know well, 
or simplify it so that they're successful, so that they then gain some confidence back and are willing to keep going through the session. I had a session like that with Minnie the other day. She's right now working on nose work with her where I hide food. Um, Originally it was in boxes and bowls and now we've switched to the food is just on a wall somewhere and she has to find it in the house. Um, So she has to use her nose and I set it up too hard (laughs) the first time without realizing it. And she didn't even want to come back. She was just like, I'm done. I, that was no fun. Um, So I had to kind of reset, do an easy session. And then she was good to go after she did that was successful, but it's really made me think a lot about how they're perceiving the, the training session and how I can keep that enthusiasm going so that they are willing to keep working through you know, all the tasks that I'm asking for. So whilst you've been doing all this fascinating stuff with Mini and it's been improving your, your gundog training as well, what, where have you got to with Mini? Because Mini's not just training in your basement now. She's actually sort of winning certificates for it, isn't she? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we, um, we earn titles through Do More With Your Dog, which is an online uh, trick titling organization. And it's nice because they're open to any species. And I also like it because there's a lot of variety in the tasks that you can do. Um, And so between my two dogs, for example, when I did titles with them, we could pick different tasks depending on what they were good at. And then when I did it with Minnie, I could pick tasks, which it's really interesting because some of the tasks that were really hard for the dogs are super, super easy for a cat. Uh, like a lot of the balancing ones, you know, that require some uh, balancing on uh, objects like cats, that's no problem. Um, but then some things that are really hard, like retrieving are real for Minnie, um, are really easy for the dogs. I still haven't quite got a retrieve with, with Minnie. Um, and so through all that work we've got now, she's got a novice trick title. Uh, she's got an intermediate advanced we're working through towards her expert level, which is the highest, uh, almost the highest title that she can get through that organization. The only ones higher than that are champion and grand champion. Um, and then she also has done a uh, novice masters, which means for that one, she actually completed 30 different tricks to earn that one certificate. So the novice level was 12 tricks. The uh, intermediate level uh is i believe it's 10 or no it's 15 and then 15 and then 10 or 12 and then five for novice intermediate advanced expert is another five and she has three out of five right now and then the novice masters was 30 so we're sitting at what's that almost 100 tricks that she's done so far for the the trick titles and they're normally only earned by dogs um although there are a few cats there's, if you look at the organization website, they have all the cats listed. In Alberta, there's only three cats in Alberta that have earned um, titles, and two out of three are mine. Um, 20 years ago, so Charlotte was, Charlotte had only just been born, my daughter, and um, I had a Bengal cat, which um, is, for anybody who's listening, it's an Asian leopard cat crossed with a domestic cat, um, and you have so many generations away from that cross. And that cat would literally retrieve every time I would throw a ball for the dog. I would then have to throw a ball for the cat. And that, and he would retrieve no problem at all. Now, I never thought about teaching him any tricks. But 
they are absolutely intelligent creatures, aren't they? Yeah, I really wish that I'd learned earlier on that I could train cats. Uh, Minnie's a rescue. I got her at about six months old and she was horrible as a kitten. (laughs) Like... I she just got bored all the time and now I live in a house we have a catio which um, is an enclosure that has a cat door that they can go into at any time so they get outside if they want Um, and we also have a fence around our backyard so they're able to go in the backyard um, and enjoy the backyard if they want and Minnie is scared of outside of her own environment so we don't take her for walks but we do walk our our other cat our older one um, so now they have lots of enrichment, but when I got her and the other cat, Jake, I was living in an apartment building um, with limited space and Minnie was a handful. Oh, she would find, she would find ways to get in trouble and it's cause she was just bored, but I had no idea how to entertain this cat. Um, she would purposely like destroy things if she got bored, like she'd go destroy the toilet paper and then she'd yell at me like, look what I did. And she still does that if we skip training. Um, (laughs) but now she only does it if we skip training, (laughs) whereas before she used to do it a lot more. And I remember going to the pet store and I bought like an armful of new toys because she also would get bored with everything that I gave her. And the person was like, Oh, you getting a new cat? No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I wish I'd known when she was that age that I could train her because she would have been so much happier. And she actually would probably do a lot more of the active things like retrieving if she wasn't so fat. She's extremely fat um, because she's so smart that she steals food from everybody else in the house. And she's been on a diet for a couple of years now. And we still haven't managed to get her to lose weight because she's just too smart. <laughs> <laughs> so whilst all this is going on, what do your dogs um, think about the cat training? They seem to just accept it as another dog. Um, my older dog, Amy, uh, she is fine with the cats, but not best friends with them. Starling sees them as dogs, which is funny, but also we have to make sure they don't, she doesn't try to play with them too much because she gets too rough because she thinks they're dogs. Um, so yeah, they, I mean, Starling would rather always do everything. She'd always rather have all the turns. So usually if I'm training the cats, I'll actually get either create her or get my spouse uh, Josh to take the dogs um, so that they're out of the way. Um, Because if Minnie jumps in in the middle of a dog training session, I can usually recover the session fine. But if the dog jumps into the middle of when I'm training Minnie, she gets mad that the dog's getting attention instead of her. So then she may check out of training. (laughs) So the dog on the dog side, they're fine. They, they seem to just accept it, but the cat, she wants all the attention and doesn't like it when the dogs interrupt. (laughs) But even these things that you're learning, they're all transferable skills where they're, you know, from dog to dog, to dog, to cat, from cat to cat, they're all things that, each time you're experiencing them, they're teaching that each time you're experiencing them, they're teaching you to become a better trainer. Yeah, it's so funny to think that just a few years ago, I just had one dog and that's all I was training. And I found that overwhelming <laughs> when I first got Amy. Uh, I got her in 2018. Uh, and yeah, since then, now I've got two dogs and two cats. I've got a snake as well. But um haven't I only do puzzle toys for the snake I haven't done training yet um just because snakes only eat 
they eat very infrequently. And so I haven't yet figured out how to do reward-based training with them that I'm comfortable with. Cause some of the other ways of doing it with them are like giving them a heat source or something as a reward. I'm like, well, I don't really want to deprive him of heat <laughs> in order to get him to train with me. But, um, but yeah, all of these skills, like learning to handle multiple animals and learning which ones can work with others. It actually helped me with Amy because Amy's quite sensitive. She does not like to compete with other dogs. If there's any conflict, she would rather just get out of there. She does not like conflict. Um, and so uh, when I train Amy, I have to make sure that Starling and the cat stay out of her way or else she starts to feel pressure and it may influence um, her training. And so now I usually create Starling if uh, when Amy's doing her turn. But again, things that I've learned through training multiple species at the same time. I actually sometimes will train them all at once, um, but the cats just don't have the same patience as the dogs. Um, Minnie's okay. She will sit on a platform for a fair amount of time, but the other cat will get in the way of the training. So it's just easier to split the species and do Minnie and sometimes the other cat, Jake, and the dogs. But yeah, it's really, it's taught me a lot. It's taught me a lot about training multiple individuals and how to make sure that their needs are being met so we have a successful training session and thinking ahead of time how to set it up so that they aren't feeling pressure or frustration because others are present. So just to sort of wrap this incredibly fascinating podcast <laughs> up, and I'm sure people are sitting there now thinking, I didn't plan on listening to a podcast about how to train the cat, but I've actually learned <laughs> loads about training my dog. How did you get into hunting what 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 got you to the point where you bought Amy in the first place I started out deer hunting um and I started with that because I knew people that deer hunted um and I found it I was I was always kind of interested in hunting but um I'm a field biologist so I've spent a lot of my career moving around to different places to get my education um, and also moving around a lot for field work. So for my PhD, for example, I spent five years, um, a good portion of the time I was in the Yukon in a field camp with no uh, electricity and no running water, except whatever we put into the, that whatever we could uh, bring to camp ourselves from the local community and whatever we would get from our generators or solar panels. So once I got past that point and I was kind of in a more stable part of my life, I started to get into hunting and I just had some friends who were really kind um, and spent a lot of time over a couple of years introducing me to hunting. The first year, they kind of just helped me learn the ropes. Um, the second year is when I started to get my own guns. So we have to go through a permitting process to get um, to get guns. So I did that. Um, and then I started to learn about land access because here there, you can only hunt on certain parcels of land. Um, so I started to really learn about the regulations and somewhere in there, one of the people who took me out was someone with a dog and we went out duck hunting and, um, I'd heard from my friends who didn't have ducks, what it takes or didn't, didn't have dogs, what it takes to hunt ducks without a dog, which usually means you bring a canoe or a kayak or you're swimming which here, you know, September, we can still get snow in September here. And by, by October, like last year, I stopped hunting ducks in October because our ponds were frozen. 
um, at some point in October. So, you know, waiting out in September and October to get a bird out of the water is actually not a small thing. <laughs> and so I went out with someone who had a duck uh, or a, do- a duck dog and they were doing waterfowl hunting. And I was like, I need to do this. <laughs> And so when we bought our house and I got my job as a professor, I, I, I told my spouse, well, let's look into fostering dogs. Cause I'd like to get a dog someday. And then Amy was available like a month before we took possession of her house. And I was like, so there's this dog in Saskatchewan, which is the next province over. And you think we could maybe get a dog right away instead of waiting <laughs> and so I convinced him and we got Amy and I just I I didn't really know what I was doing I just went out and knew that she could retrieve and just kind of figured things out with her and she's a sensitive dog who really pays attention to um how I want what I what I'm doing and it's a real partnership like when we're working together for hunting she's always got one eye on me and I've always got one eye on her. And she, if she notices I've seen something, she stops and she watches to see what I'm doing. And same with her. I've learned what her behavior is telling me. And then when I got Starling, it's been the same thing. I've really just focused on trying to develop that relationship. Um, Cause for us, you know, my hunting, if I'm hunting grouse, I could hunt for hours and not see a bird or I could hunt for hours and see two birds. Um, like our population densities because of the places I'm hunting where it's close to major cities, there's not a lot of birds. So a lot of it is just the dog work. Um, and before I had dogs, those days felt really annoying. <laughs> God, I hunted like five hours and didn't get anything. And now I'm like, oh, I took my dog out for five hours. You know, if I got a bird during that time, which I usually do with the dogs now that I have dogs, is great. But if I don't, I don't, if I don't care. I got to work my dog for five hours. Um, so yeah, started out as just something I was interested in doing. And then it's evolved into something that I mainly hunt with my dogs. Now, if I can't bring my dogs, like people invite me out hunting sometimes, can I bring my dogs? No. Okay. I'm just going to go on my own that day. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you very much for doing this with us. Um, it really has been lovely to hear more about your dogs and your cats but also more about how you hunt in in Canada in your area um if anybody wants to see more of your dogs or your cats or you where can they find you yeah so I'm on Instagram that's probably the the best way the dog account that I have is Amy and Starling so that's the two dogs I occasionally post about the cats because that's where I post my cat training um, if you want to hear more about the cats and not just trading specific, my spouse runs their, their Instagram account, which is Jake and Minnie. Um, and I do have my own Instagram account, which is Jess a dot Haynes, but I'm mostly on the dog account. Cause I mostly am on Instagram for dog photos and videos. So <laughs> easiest way is through the dog account. So hope you all enjoyed and we shall speak to you all next week. Thank you for listening to LWDG Pod Dog with me, Joe Parrott. Now, we all know training a dog takes time, energy and patience, but our lives can be really, really busy. Don't worry, the LWDG has got you covered. Join us for our free planning workshop where we'll show you how to use short 10-minute training sessions each day to fast-forward your dog's education. Our experts have years of experience in training dogs and will help you get started on the right foot. Register now and start making progress with your furry friend today. 
Go to our Facebook page, The Ladies Working Dog Group, and click on the pinned post, or visit www.thelwdg.com. Thank you.